0: Dude, have you followed any of this, um, any of this stuff with, uh, it's Trump's legal team on... Just
1: all the lawsuits? I don't know.
0: Yeah. I guess specifically there's this new character in the Trump universe, which is Sidney Powell.
1: Yeah. Have seen I, this I, woman? Yeah. I, I heard what she was saying. Her, her speech of like, we're gonna
0: prove that we won it's going to be biblical yeah. uh and she keeps she keeps using the hashtag release the kraken <laughs> uh, she is like i am actually con- kind of convinced that she's insane
1: yeah uh, no she because i, I she definitely has that insane. like people that got swept up in the nazi party like fervor vibes yeah. the fervor
0: but one of the things i've noticed that i think is so interesting is that there are now Two new news organizations Uh to the right of Fox News. So there's OAN. Okay, yeah, yeah, And then there's also this new news organization called Newsmax, um, which I think is WGN, like an old channel, like old uh, cable channel, or uh, basic cable channel. Uh, It's their news organization. And... um, the Trump people, like the, like this woman, isn't even going on Fox News anymore. The That crowd has decided that Fox News is fake news media now, too. And so they are creating their own epistemological universe even more insulated. It's really interesting because I was on Twitter and I was like, somehow this woman's thing on Newsmax Uh popped up on my feed. And I was like, this is crazy, like really, truly crazy. But then I went and searched on Twitter and there wasn't that many people talking about her and all of the stuff, all of the posts were super positive. You know, Uh like you ever notice like on Twitter, when you find yourself in a part of it that you don't subscribe to and the Completely batshit crazy opinion isn't getting ratioed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, there's more likes, there's more likes and comments, and you're like, oh, I'm in the wrong, I yeah. turned down the wrong alley. Um, I noticed that. And so, what I find so crazy is that they have insulated themselves from criticism even further, and they have created their own enclave of truth, of objective truth where they don't even have to answer
1: to the rest of the world it's terrifying what yeah okay so like conceptually at at first that sounds like it's a common kind of like a common thing right you get more insular as yeah. like people yeah. people keep dropping out because you're way too fringe but yeah it's not on like the russian collusion right uh, Part of Twitter, but like, with what's the goal? If right, how if you're Absolutely. like, good question. Making your base smaller if you're cutting out a large portion of your base because there are people who are gonna be like, look, I watch Fox News and I believe the Donald Trump stuff, but like, I'm not, you know, a diehard I Trump to like that. Die- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there yeah. are a lot of people like that, and that's probably like the older, more like, I,
0: I, I would say I think it's comfort, right? Yeah, like, I think. I think that the internet has created um, worlds. I th- we've talked about this before on on the podcast, mm-hmm. like the 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 different re- people. We are no longer having disagreements about policy mm-hmm. in the world. We're having disagreements about reality, mm-hmm. and so if you get I don't know Sydney Powell pilled, yeah, and you start you start believing this stuff, mm-hmm. then the only thing you can do, like let's say you were so pro-Trump that before the election you were convinced that he was actually going to win 48 states. Right. Like he was going to win every single state except for California and New York. Uh-huh. Then, then you cannot accept the reality of the situation right now. Yeah. You are incapable of of accepting it, it has to be fake. It has to be a fraud. It has to be all these things, or else your entire world, the the all of your the things that you
1: believe to be true, mm-hmm.
0: are wrong. And you know, it's actually like not unlike, like religion. It really, in, I was going like to say, it, this is like a
1: dogmatic level of like ingrained yeah. belief in your reality.
0: And I don't think that democracy is capable. Of like withstanding that. If we are disagreeing about reality mm-hmm. and you have to believe that like this is only gonna get more severe yeah. uh it's very troubling.
1: Like I'm curious I it's gonna be it would be impossible to know, but I'm I'm curious as to whether this the end game is January twentieth. Or what is it, the twenty first? Jan- like January, yeah. or if this is gonna be one of those things where four years from now we will have been hearing about newsmax as like the new force oh yeah the new bar it's you know it's
0: going to be forever I think that I think that we've created a schism mm-hmm. and like that the especially with news organizations f- gladly following through with this mm-hmm. we are going to see completely separate news for completely, for people living different political realities. Right. And so, the as the schism, like, it's not like they're running parallel with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff, all the stuff, the Dominion voting, I, I would imagine that the majority of Americans have no idea what the Dominion voting machine scandal is, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, it's snowballing. Mm-hmm. To people who are getting their news consumption from oan and newsmax like that is bigger than watergate you know it's like the biggest american political scandal of all time and the majority of americans have no fucking clue what you're, they're talking about mm-hmm. and so it's not like it's not like january uh or even you know like when the election gets certified they're gonna come back in no it's just gonna keep diverting all of, I, I heard, I love, one of my new favorite terms for what we're living in is when people talk about, like, the the Fox News cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, heur- I've heard it with a lot of, and, and, you know, like, I've heard it, the same thing with, like, the Chapo Trap House cinematic universe, right. or, like, it's, everyone in their political niche mm-hmm. is living within, within it, and has these, like, knows these characters, knows these these plot points nobody else knows mm-hmm. it's all inside these little silos it's very confusing It's v- and it, difficult it's
1: very confusing and it's like i it's it's hard not to see it as like a pressure cooker because we're all sharing this space and this identity of being american like yeah like the funniest part about this country is that like there is a weird undercurrent of like monolithic identity and yet it's this country is like way too big so like what where does the buck stop like when when is it when is enough enough for like the human mind yeah because right because there's just like no way that you can live in this reality and not be constantly contradicted out in the real world like once covid ends and shit like you're gonna have to go out and see people who don't aren't watching the same shit think like you yeah Who
0: who don't who not even don't think like you that's the the difference right who don't who don't exist in the same speaking a different language like a completely different language
1: i would rather than it sooner than later (laughs) let's not drag this out you know fucking shit yeah all
0: right let's get into it on that note
1: Boom! Boom! Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the light-hearted, fun podcast where we talk about Wikipedia, read articles from Wikipedia, and explore the world one Wikipedia article at a time. Was that convincing? That is right. Was that, convincing?
0: that was pretty convincing. Thank you. Um, I am joined by my co-host Alex
1: Virgil, who. Really knows how to throw a bocce ball, man. Oh, you, you don't even know. <laughs> I do, though. And uh, I'm joined by John Micklas, as always, who uh, played bass on multiple Super Tramp uh, albums, actually, back in the 70s. Yeah,
0: it, it was pretty interesting. I was concurrently playing bass on the album, and I was the lead singer in a Super Tramp <laughs> cover band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where you're just so bitter that you're, like, not the lead. <laughs> you're just yeah. the bassist in the band, but you still want to do the same songs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I
0: would pepper in my own lyrics, but never my own original songs. Yeah, just, a, just, just the little cover.
1: ideas that yeah. they shot down. You just incorporated yeah. into songs you gen- genuinely already like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, verge.
0: Do you have any old news for us today?
1: I don't have old news, but I did come upon an interesting page on Wikipedia that talks about the phenomenon, uh, I think it was called, like, getting to philosophy, I think it was called, where it's the phenomenon where if you click on the first hyperlink of of a Wikipedia page and continue doing that on subsequent ones, you will, with like a 97% certainty, reach the philosophy wikipedia page (laughs) really yeah (laughs) um which starts to make sense i did it a couple times and it every single time it worked and it only it takes like less than 10 clicks but every single time you reach philosophy because you know like the lead sentence will always include like a very categorical you know a broad categorization of what the page represents and so so this is if you click the very first hyperlink you said? Yeah, of like, you know, any. you go to random article, pick a page, let's, 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 yeah. let's give it a go here. Let's give it a go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I think that's fun. Um, all right. So, I have gotten to, okay, random article, boom. Mm-hmm. We are at Ecclesiastical Province of Rupert's Land. Okay, yeah, fair enough. We're not going to find out what that is. Alright, clicking on Ecclesiastical Provinces. Christian Churches. Uh, See, this is very Uh quick. We might be going down a... Abrahamic Religion. Abrahamic, though, is the only one. Oh, yeah. Semitic. I think we... Obsolete is the first. Race. Hmm. Humans. Oh, this is like way more roundabout than any of the other ones. Species. Biology. Hmm. Natural science. Branch of science. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Verge. Sciences. Builds. The word builds. Scientific method. Empirical. Information. Uncertainty. Epistemic philosophy. Boom.
0: It was a little longer, yeah. but we got there. It was a little long, but yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, we could see where it was going. Yeah. That was interesting. That was interesting. You got you got you got sidetracked by the religion element. Yeah. It, right. Didn't see you know that. What I mean, like, th- yeah. The roundabout way was because of the religion. Uh, well, that's interesting. That's yeah, fun. That's I a, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. I don't have any old old news. I I didn't have anything else on the Darien Gap. Besides, I actually was looking at it more, and I've decided I want to go. I'm going to do the Pan that way at some point. I want to do it, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. Um, My friend was talking about, he has this great car, it's Amitai, uh, he has this great car that's, like, perfect for road trips, and he wants to, like, really just, like, use it up, and then leave it somewhere. (laughs) So I immediately went, well, you should take it down (laughs) from alaska all the way down to the southern tip of panama and leave it in the darien gap because there's a single highway at which point he said there's a highway that goes starts from alaska i thought it was detached and i said hmm? <laughs> 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 and that's as far as i'm going with that
0: oh that's good that's good stuff um yeah, yeah i uh i, I do want to go and i do think it's going to require more money than i currently have yeah so if anyone out there listening wants to donate to the show uh i will i will podcast the entire way every single yeah. state every time i enter into a new province or state oh my god uh, all the way down
1: wait can i go with it. you can we just do a yeah, podcast yeah yeah round? we'll just do the podcast yeah yeah it'll be like our um you know Oh, my God. uh, For our our listeners, if you ever wanted us to get really legit, like, we'll do a Darien Gap from the Darien Gap episode. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Oh, my God. We could interview someone from FARC. Yeah. With our... our Maybe join. Perfect Spanish, the two of us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. El pastor aquí. Um. Tienes el pastor aquí. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> si, si, uh, burritos californianos. Si, damas y caballeros, bienvenidos a Big Thunder Mountain. <laughs>
0: uh, well, now seems like a good time to um, to plug the show a bit. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, if you are listening at this point, that means that you've probably listened to multiple episodes. So, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Uh, and if you um, want to get a hold of us and maybe suggest some sort of weird wiki hole that you went down uh, please send us an email uh, we're on uh, gmail at hegelian friendship simulator at gmail.com yes uh, we also have a twitter and an instagram account that's right uh, you can find us by searching the name of the show yeah uh and please you know like all of our Stuff on both of those social media channels, Mm -hmm. as well as subscribing and rating and reviewing us on any podcast app that you may use. Yeah. Um. And last but not least, uh, donate to Wikipedia. Donate to Wikipedia.
1: At one point, we're going to ask you to donate to us, but for now, eventually, yeah,
0: we're still we're still getting there. We're still giving you as much of that juicy, (laughs) juicy content. As you can handle. Yeah. But eventually That paywall's um, going up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily for this episode, but we're gonna we've got some some pretty
1: cool stuff in store.
0: If you want some live uh, down from the, the
1: Darien line. Gap.
0: Yeah, if you ever want us to to broadcast live from the Darien Gap, then you better believe yeah. that's going on a paywall. Yeah. Uh so Verge, is it I think it's my turn to It is to you start, first.
1: Right? All right. Um, <laughs> fa- I just want to say, for the listeners, his face just like changed in a way that it was almost heartbreaking. <laughs> so I can't even <laughs> begin to imagine what. Well, so I'm just
0: grappling with how I'm naming my segment. Okay. Um, and I think, I think that the that the segment title. Is, the Wikipedia page that the segment title is, we're going to go a lot of different branches, okay. but is melancholy. Oh is my the, gosh. <laughs> is the Wikipedia article that I feel like is the most, like, um, the base foundation level of what we're going to be
1: talking about today so get ready for the section on melancholia (laughs) wonderful melancholia is that's that's a territory i'm familiar with (laughs) uh yes yeah and i i
0: i I figured as much because you are a a tortured genius artist uh and i'm i'm excited and ready to uh to hear what you have to say about all the different routes we're going to take but I will say that, uh, you know, I'm going to start um, this segment by reading in an, e- an Urban Dictionary article, actually. Wow. Um, so this is the Urban Dictionary article for the term sad boy. <laughs> uh, a sad boy is a typically a young teen guy yeah. that listens to music such as cloud rap and vaporwave. <laughs> yeah. They also enjoy wearing black and white clothes with sad faces or Japanese lettering. <laughs> Some even wear bucket hats and enjoy drinking Arizona iced tea. <laughs> they are generally depressed and long for a girl to fix that. However, they somewhat enjoy the fact that they are sad.
1: Fucking uh, hilarious. And,
0: and then the, the next one is a sad boy is a person who wears bucket hats, drinks Arizona green tea, and listens to Youngling, a uh, Youngling, generally depressed people. Uh, which I will say, too old to understand the cultural references, and therefore am fascinated by
1: that. Hilarious article. to me. I was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. Where is the bucket hats and the Arizona iced tea are not like cultural staples that I like am familiar with. It's
1: like it's like this. Uh, it's like the new almost skate. Yeah, like, it's like Emo, right? It's yeah, like the, pred- yeah. the successor to Emo, but a completely new mm-hmm. set of cultural reference points. Mm-hmm. Like, Emo almost... The thing with Emo in the mid-2000s was it was a little too genuine, and... Uh, right. And this is irony. Yeah, yeah this is, this is, that is irony. internet Yeah, like yeah. nihilistic yeah. version of it, yeah.
0: And, and seems um, particularly multi-ethnic. Yes. Right? Like, the sad boy niche or the sad boy cultural phenomenon Mm -hmm. is like a very multi-ethnic one even and and particularly asian right i mean like like i feel like there is like a like a filipino i don't Mm -hmm. know or 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 generic unknown asian origin it's it's funny because i see it as kind of like
1: the socal born and bred alt alt socal born and bred look which which does include you know east asians um you get like not necessarily token black guys but black guys who are able to you know kind of move around different different spaces Pre- pretty black guys right? yeah like, yeah, like yeah. A very like yeah um uh, but
0: and and that you say i think that's interesting the socal element because there is i i do love that that kind of archetypal socal guy mm-hmm. that has like ambiguous ethnic origins mm-hmm. But in reality, it's just, like, a, a, a an example of, like, the post-multiracial yeah. American mm-hmm. look, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's like the Supreme aesthetic, but they don't ever wear Supreme shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess
1: no one wears Supreme. I learned this recently. You don't. No one wears Supreme. It's just, like, a resell brand. Wait, really? Yeah, it's like a thing where, like, kids buy Supreme stuff because... They know it's coveted, and they resell it online at a higher price. But those kids aren't necessarily wearing it either. They're just... Now they have it. It's like a commodity. Now they have it, and then they resell it to people who want it. And no one ever is really rocking the clothing. Hell yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but anyway. That's cool, though. I like that.
0: Yeah. Um... So, back to melancholy (laughs) uh, and sad boys. Um, So, all right. So, I started down this rabbit hole on a a quite interesting Wikipedia article. Not a ton of info, Uh um, but the the title of the article is The Glass Delusion.
1: Oh, okay. Are you familiar? I am familiar, and I want to know how you kind of connect it back to contemporary... Yeah. Uh, okay. So,
0: so the glass illusion, um, is an external manifestation of a psychiatric disorder recorded in Europe, mainly in the late middle ages and early modern period, uh, 15th to 17th centuries. Mm -hmm. Um, people feared that they were made of glass and therefore likely to shatter into pieces. Um, (laughs) like literally. And yeah like literally so it was it was a a a, a psychiatric condition i mean a, a true mm-hmm. um, mental illness to the point of like being uh, completely debilitating mm-hmm. for the people that that had it um and i i found it this is i think that the thing that i found so interesting and most interesting about it uh concentration of the glass delusion uh among the wealthy and educated classes allowed modern scholars to associate it with a wider and better described disorder of melancholy. Mm. Um, and so so. It is, it is something that was specifically associated um, that modern historians and scholars have been able to associate with the upper classes, mm-hmm. with the nobility, like particularly. Mm-hmm. And... It is a kind of... Um, I take it as a byproduct of a lifestyle of leisure and decadence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is when... It, it is a, a kind of a malaise created mm. among people who have nothing else to worry about. Right. And who, because especially that time period, 15th to centu- 17th centuries... There was such a regimented um, kind of hierarchy of peoples Mm -hmm. that if you exist on the very, like the extreme height of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. and you therefore have nothing to worry about, Mm -hmm. then your fear is that you are so fragile Mm -hmm. and so um, uh, delicate as a human being That you are literally made of glass, Uh, and luckily, uh, and this is where we get the title of the segment, uh, that description that it's associated with melancholy. um, Their melancholy has its own hyperlink. So of course, I clicked on the melancholy hyperlink. Had to, and. I am actually quite fascinated by this. And it's something that I probably could have it, it seems very obvious in retrospect, but I could have given it more thought, but I hadn't. Mm-hmm. We live in a highly clinical era. Yeah. A, an age of of scientific diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And yet when you think about the history of man, our era of scientific nomenclature mm-hmm. clinical depression bipolar disorder autism all of these things are modern inventions mm-hmm. they are extremely new and in fact we've already talked about this on the show they will inevitably undoubtedly change right. and become historical in their own right like we will we will better develop our concept of the human brain of mental and psychological and psychiatric conditions for the majority of human history, melancholy, Mm -hmm. melancholia is a, is the concept. It's the, it's the description for what we now think of as clinical depression. We have so many different versions of it, but like melancholy, this like, uh, and I guess it's probably important. I'll read, um, Melancholia, which means black bile, which yeah. I think is, is weirdly important, uh, is a condition characterized by extreme depression, bodily complaints, and sometimes hallucinations and delusions. Uh-huh. Melancholia is a concept from ancient or pre-modern medicine. Melancholia was one of the four temperaments matching the four humors. Um, and by the way, the four humors are melancholia, phlegmatic, choleric, and sanguine. Okay. Uh and I, I honestly weirdly enough, I mean others of those have like developed in their own into their own mod- modern medical conditions, but the one that is to me the most salient is melancholy. Like that's the one that we still have like a an interpretation that we associate right.
1: with its so,
0: original meaning. So
1: these aren't like you know? necessarily these aren't like physical descriptions. These are like descriptors of like what like personality types kind of yeah i s uh, here I'll, I'll i'll try
0: and um four humors so humorism was a system of medicine detailing the makeup and workings of the human body mm. adopted by ancient greek and roman physicians mm-hmm. um and so that's why the the fact that melancholia means blackness of the bile mm-hmm. is important Mm-hmm. Is because for a long, like the you know centuries, from ancient Greek and Roman times through the Middle Ages and even up until basically like the Enlightenment, Mm -hmm. um, it was believed that people were sad, like that clinical depression was caused because people had too much black bile in their body. Ah, okay, okay. So so it was it was an attempt to explain mental conditions, mm-hmm. mental abnormalities mm-hmm. through the deficiencies of physical conditions. Yeah. A completely pre brain. And and mind you, again, I I can't say it enough. We have no clue what's going on in the brain, right? right. Like, no, just no, absolutely no. no clue. Yeah. And um. And before modern medicine, we really didn't. Mm-hmm. And so we had this association, mel- like the four humors were associated with with different, um. Different like medical or physical conditions uh and so I I am I do have a hard time understanding why exactly the black bile uh like what I don't know what that means because I don't feel like we have any,
1: yeah, I mean that it, is it, it not, almost sounds like it's like a metaphorical thing that they just kind of decided was.
0: Yeah, right. I mean there for the most part, it strikes me that a lot of this stuff, carries through into our modern day in weird understandings, right. like like weird connections where we're like, yeah, it's actually not true, but it's not lost to history. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners is like, what are you fucking talking about? Of course, this it's very simple thing in our cultural register is associated with this, but I can't find it.
1: I also don't um, want to write it off as like a truism because so many of these things I think are like without e- exploration are easy to just like continue to misinterpret as a species, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but
0: no, no, I think it makes sense. I, yeah, it, it's, yeah. Well, well, I mean, also, I think that, um, we, have like not necessarily in our DNA but in the metaphorical equivalent of our DNA we have cultural instincts mm-hmm. that are built from like generation upon generation upon generation believing and like it's it's like the the reason why american kids love the frontier i think you mm-hmm. know like like they're like the like generational link and and instinctual imprinting of like certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually that comes through, but, but sometimes it doesn't. I mean, clearly not at all of human history and all of human philosophy
1: continues through. Just like right. people like human philosophy can have a second death in many ways. I, yeah, I think it makes sense what you're saying uh, in the context of the frontier, especially because that was a period that it felt like the drive the human drive was very real mm-hmm. they, they were dealing with real things it was the physical world around them it was nature it was interfacing with other cultures like i think there was a very non-melancholic drive that pushed that and and like the the naturist art from that time is like a huge indicator of that and then now now that that is kind of dead this you know sad boy like t- late 20th century american melancholia is coming back because we've kind of passed that realness in existing in this world
0: yeah well and a uh, good point i mean that and that's uh one of the things that i found super cool about this wikipedia article on melancholy mm-hmm. is that um you know, ancient times, it was one of the four humors. Um, But starting in like the 16th or 17th century, Mm -hmm. um, it became like almost in vogue. Uh, And then there is, you can almost trace a through line Mm -hmm. starting in like the 1500s to now of of melancholy as... um, like coolness right uh so so uh i i made a note the that this article gives you the sad boys of history <laughs> um uh and so john Donne. um there's a picture of him in the wikipedia article that says the young john Donne, the very picture of fashionable melancholy in the jacobean era <laughs> you know john dunn famously uh the poet of for whom the bell tolls uh, right. You know, like the classic line, like "Don't ask for who the bell tolls; it tolls for thee." Mm-hmm. Um, one and actually, I will say uh, for anyone listening that like has a real aversion to reading any fifteenth-century Jacobean <laughs> English writers, which I, is fair yeah. for the most part. I mean, I took many classes, or not many, a couple classes on it in college, and like almost all of it is a snooze. Mm-hmm. Almost everything John Donne wrote it slaps like to this day holds of slaps is fucking awesome on the, on the level with shakespeare of like stuff from that era that you should be reading um and then so the romantics in england uh william blake cates uh and then the the german school gotha uh and then multiple, you know, like the, there's oh, just nice. this yeah, whole okay. through line throughout, basically starting the 15th <laughs> century of all of these artists who channeled melancholy into an interpretation of the world, a work of literature and actually medical science from the 16th century that I was not familiar with, mm. uh, that I became more familiar with reading this article though. Is a a work called "The Anatomy of Melancholy," um, mm. which is by a guy named Robert Burton. I want you to look up Robert Burton uh, because I had a moment. His his portrait on his Wikipedia article, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> he looks he looks like a modern day sad boy. He does. Uh, he he's does. Got, He's got the sullen sunken eyes. Mm-hmm. He's got the like the the kind of like well kept trimmed beard. Yep. He just needs a like a beanie yep. and a supreme hoodie. Yep. And like that dude is that dude is an absolute he might actually be a fuckboy and not a sad boy. That's the thing but is he is toes the line between the two. He's right
1: in between the two where like he's the kind of guy who has uh opinions about the NBA that I can't relate to. yeah 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 absolutely uh i but i
0: yeah so i immediately upon like going down this hole and seeing this guy i was like all right i don't know if i like this guy but i also know this guy Uh and i am fascinated by that that this guy in the 16th century wrote a book called the anatomy of melancholy um And now it goes actually full circle back to the original article, The Glass Delusion, because in his book, The Anatomy of Melancholy, Mm -hmm. he actually talks about the glass delusion. Um, He has a really great quote in his book. It it goes, um, Fear of devil's death, that they shall be so sick of some such or such disease, ready to tremble at every object, they shall die themselves forthwith. Or that some of their dear friends or near allies are certainly dead. Imminent danger, loss, disgrace still torment others. That they are all glass, and therefore will suffer no man to come near them. That they are all cork, as light as feathers. Others as heavy as lead. Some are afraid their heads will fall off their shoulders. That they have frogs in their bellies, etc. Uh, And, you know, I just, I do love... I love thinking about the fact that people in, I think this book was written in like the 1620s were so we're fucked up then as they are fucked up now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's easy to sometimes think about your current time as decadent and depraved and like morally vacuous and, and we've lost the way. And, and I think it's more important to understand that no, though that we've never known the way this entire time like as humans we have been lost and sad and completely out of our depths from the dawn of man
1: oh interesting
0: you know like this is not this is not some we love i don't and don't get me wrong, I love modernist literature, mm-hmm. but modernist literature really instilled this idea that like oh, machines ruined us, like our culture is is gone, it's down a path of of no return mm-hmm. and and it's revisionist, you know I mean it's 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 just like Timothy Dexter, like this all this stuff, all of this weirdness, this absurdity, this sadness, uh-huh. the depression the fucked upness like it's all been
1: there all along yeah like, it, it's, it's just here's 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 what I'll argue though from my perspective is it's yeah. it's very west centric
0: yeah sure yeah yeah no I of think, course i think
1: it has existed in the west for hundreds of years i would venture to say yeah. over a thousand years yeah um But it's very interesting because I'm not sure that you get that kind of, you get this like vocabulary coming out of other parts, you know, Eastern and African areas uh, before Western influence. I can't say that for sure. You know, I'm, I am not familiar with classical texts from, you know, like non-Western classical texts. But there is a through line that I am noticing um, of this. You're absolutely right. Like the malaise, like the existential crises, like they don't.
2: Yeah.
1: It doesn't feel like they've really shifted in concept for a long time. If you look at it from like a, you know, larger timescale. But it's not necessarily common through from, like, non-Western spheres. But again, I could be wrong. I would wrong. say...
0: I guess my counter-argument would be that... that the... the the, the thing that is unique to Western... Um, civilization mm-hmm. and, like, culture and art mm-hmm. is, like, this deep, profound narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I guess... to me, the thing that seems... Completely, um, uh, like determinant, like it, it has to be an absolute fact mm-hmm. is that people were sad and happy and weird oh, yeah. and fucked up across every culture that has ever existed across all that's totally in yeah. time. Like, like people have always been this fucked up, mm-hmm. and they've always been personally so weird and so goofy and sad and Mm -hmm. and they get happy about the same like like the universality of man i i do i i mean i think that humanity is is connected through some deep like sense of like emotional fabric you know Mm -hmm. but western culture and i don't know if it i would assume because i think all of western culture is traced back to the story of Jesus Christ. Right. Like Christianity has, has, has created a certain way through which we interpret and, and talk about the world Mm -hmm. that it allows this like kind of, I don't know if it's a sense of individualism. I mean, I think that you could critically argue it as like a cultural narcissism. Right. Um, But whatever you want to call it, like this like deep devoted, Act of writing everything down mm-hmm. And therefore you get stuff like Robert Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy which was just a 800 page book about him being sad <laughs> right, right. I mean it's the same as Proust it's the same as mm-hmm. you know, there, There's a lot of like A lot of these Over the course of, of western culture Yeah um, That is less Significant and less Pathological to Eastern, mm-hmm. I'm sure to African. And then, you know, then you have the pre Columbian Americas where writing right. wasn't really culturally. If it was, it, it was not preserved right. because of goddamn Westerners. <laughs> but, like, even if it. I, I think that the the interpretation is that writing wasn't particularly important. You know, it wasn't a huge, important part of most pre Columbian American cultures to begin with. So. Long story short, short. It's because of our massive
1: egos
0: (laughs) that we can make that interpretation. Yeah,
1: I absolutely back you on that. Not much to say. Not (laughs) much more to say than like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the it's like the individualistic narcissism that comes from this idea of being separate from the person next to you. I think, like, at the root of it, like, like the simplest thing that has perpetuated this in the western sphere for the last two thousand years is this idea of you being an individual separate from others around you yeah. and therefore like that wall of commun that like mental communication wall um that is just like has pervaded Western culture is like yeah absolutely I think the 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 root of this constant feeling of malaise
2: mm-hmm.
1: um not saying everyone feels this but like the you know the thread the common thread of pervasive yeah yeah it's a very pervasive feeling
0: yeah i think it's um it's also tied into the concept of original sin mm-hmm. and uh like the 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 focal point of the idea that like christ died for the sins of man mm-hmm and so you just like you need to accept him right and you are absolved mm-hmm. that that i when I, I i mean growing up like relatively in the church mm-hmm. that concept always really fucked with me yeah and i it think is, it,
1: that's like what it that's the issue
0: yeah it, it is it is it is detached from morality mm-hmm. uh it, it it is not a moral decision right i mean I, I actually i would love to have we we should have any sort of theologian or our or christian philosopher on this because i would love to get it better understood than just like my childhood brain of it but right. like that decision to it, like accept christ is like outside of the, dis, the decision of morality that's what's interest.
1: that's what's always been interesting to me about you know, Christianity specifically uh, is that it doesn't like what you are supposed to believe about it. Without the actual teachings in the book, there is no indication in the rest of your life or your world that it exists at all. Right, right. Like other religions, for example, are very much tied in with the world around it. And yet Christianity has a very specific requirement of believing in something that you see you don't see mm-hmm. anywhere outside of other people who believe it. So right. how can yeah. you con- you know like how can you reconcile everything you see in your life with this entirely separate idea that is supposed to run the entirety of your belief system?
0: Yeah and I mean I we can go even further on this and and say that I mean the story of the earth mm-hmm. is tied into this because of the like the we are living in the fallout of colonialism right. which was justified because of the false pretense of morality that Christianity creates mm-hmm. like Christianity creates a false model where you can you can commit unspeakable acts because you're committed in the name of Christ. I mean, if you go back and read the, like the parables, right. they speak a different story on morality, but because the key core element is like okay, just accept Christ as the son of God, mm-hmm. it opens up it opened up this entire justification for the west to just completely rape the entire world. Yeah. And we obviously clearly still still deal with the fallout mm-hmm. i mean we do not live in a post-christian world no very much not. And, the, and so so that, that it, it is it is innately tied into pretty much every decision of every person on this earth mm-hmm. uh this like very weird heterodox well i
1: think right now religion. the reason it i think the u.s is way more than most other countries and I think if the U.S. wasn't such an economic influence elsewhere, then it wouldn't matter nearly as much.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I think the, like the I mean, evangelical and probably
1: yeah the evangelical belief in the book is 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 more and more uniquely American. Yeah, well, I would
0: argue that the the American, especially now, like yeah. honestly, weirdly enough, Trump the Trump era has almost codified like an, an even new era Mm -hmm. of this all. Mm -hmm. But like the American evangelical church is no longer a Christian religion. Right. Uh, because it is, it, there's an innate tie in that strand Mm -hmm. to American capitalism, American empire, Mm -hmm. And Christian justification and they're not they're not compatible with anything that is like strictly from the New Testament you know like right. they're, they're, it's not a, the only connection is that the belief that Jesus is the son of God
1: right uh, and that's a very interest that's a very interesting thing for me is um, I'm someone who like understands what each religion is going for and understand and i feel i feel that i'm in line with most religions original intent even like jesus i get what he was going for and i i think the reason he knew he had to die is some is like a concept i agree with because people are beginning to worship him as a, as a not not just a messianic figure, but as a literal right. embodiment of God outside of themselves, like he is right. the truth, and that's the issue. And I think, I think what hit, you know, Jesus is like, you know, the biggest thing going for him is the fact that he started to recognize that and went, "This isn't, this isn't, it. This
0: is no, good. this isn't yeah, it. They so think good. I'm God. That's not."
1: that's not the point yeah you know what i mean yeah um so yeah i think you're ah uh, we do live in in a very um non-post-christian world yeah and i think it's very interesting i mean in well like asia asia is a very good example of like how that fucks up the brains of people of like countries that were going through hundreds of years of, of relative peace japan being a great example that didn't have nostalgia and melancholy and malaise the way Mm. we understand it until Western influence.
0: Yeah. I actually, I saw, I don't know. I went down kind of a rabbit hole on Wikipedia of different types of depression and different like articles specifically Mm -hmm. about different types of depression. And I saw this statistic that said, um, like, Percentage of citizens or percentage of people living in this country that are are, um, diagnosed with clinical depression. Mm. And the United States has the most, 17% of people living in the United States have been diagnosed with clinical depression. Mm -hmm. Japan is the least. Mm -hmm. 3% of Japanese people have been diagnosed with clinical depression. Mm. And I was, I don't, I mean, I'm sure, I'm curious your thoughts on it. My first reaction was that culturally, that diagnosis is off right. in Japan. Right. Like I, I think that there are more people. I think that to it, but maybe that's not. Maybe that there is more to it culturally than just like, oh, this is a chemical imbalance in people's brains. Yeah. Um, but I, it strikes me that more people that there is. It has got to be more even among all peoples, but maybe it's not. I mean, going back to the glass illusion this is a this is a
1: um, specific to a certain subset of people. Yeah, that's very interesting. I do think there is a. Uh, it's a very like it's swayed by the environment, the social environment of whatever time it is and space you're in. You know what I mean? Right. Um. I what's interesting about japan and like tokyo for example is like how how uh known it feels for like suicide rates right because of that like loneliness that like modernist Joycean, you know kind of like moving through this like city as like an ant kind of feeling loneliness um but i think that might have been the irreconcilability of it might have been more of a 80s 90s early 2000s thing yeah that that is now not necessarily being overcome but the types of people who might be afflicted by that because of where they are class-wise socially whatever are finding different outlets um because of like a you know the uh, the economic bubble bursting so the idea of being a businessman isn't like 99% of your brain you know as right. an adult and like declining population allows for like young people to start their own like mom and pop type businesses and yeah. live simpler lives which is what the nostalgia was about when the economic bubble yeah. was blown up you know what I mean like there is a very like yeah. temporal and spatial, I think, influence on how this I think manifests. that's interesting.
0: I do. I think, I think that uh, there is an element to that. I I don't think that that statistic generally means that the Japanese citizenry is happier than American. No, I totally agree. I, I think that it's a different that that the. There, there is perhaps that clinical depression, mm-hmm. even as a medical scientific term, mm-hmm. is still Western lens focused mm-hmm. and that the Japanese sense of sadness right. is manifested in a completely different way mm-hmm. that is not diagnosed on like the, the psychiatric level that was developed in the West. Right. Like the Japanese sense of sadness. Because like, I mean... Japanese suicide is still a pretty rampant issue. Yeah. Like Japanese still Japan still has like one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh and and Japanese burnout cult, like business culture right. is still, still very much. Exists. So there are and I mean, even spending a week in Tokyo, that that like sense of like loneliness mm-hmm. in a sea of automated, like endless activity what is totally real. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm very curious about this. That clinical depression is clearly a successor to melancholy. Which in its own right is an ancient Greek and Roman concept. Mm -hmm. Whatever, you know, you can speak on it more. Whatever strain of this... I'm sure exists, but in its own cultural register Mm -hmm. in Japan, in China, I'm sure it's in Africa. I mean, like it is, it is that part as much is culturally essential. Sadness Mm -hmm. is a base human emotion, but melancholy is the interpretation in the West and clinical depression is the, the, um, you know, the successor to, to melancholy. Mm -hmm. This
1: this this is very interesting this is very interesting because it does come down to like you know in a very different way than this phrase is usually used like nature versus nurture yeah right like the environmental factors I would be curious to see what like Gen Zers end up being like in their 30s and 40s you know what I mean yeah because i feel I like gen xers gen xers were the first generation in the us i think on a mass scale where like the idea of being depressed uh was normalized yeah you know at least in like 20th century us like the gen xers were the first ones to really just like punk it out like before it was the blues because of a culture of people Right. who were of, like very of, you know concretely oppressed yeah you know but the idea of this kind of like existential melancholia of, of, yeah
0: yeah of 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 uh, a a reaction to decadence mm-hmm. a reaction to to the well but it's so interesting because you can find the through line right. i mean camus and sartre like like french Existentialists and French nihilists, like that's just not that long, you know. Joe Strummer was clearly reading Camus mm-hmm. when he wrote "Lost in the Supermarket," mm-hmm. you know, like, and then and then uh, Henry Rollins listened to to the Clash, yeah. and then after that, like, we got like, you know, SoCal ska punk, like the Offspring, right, singing it like whatever bombs over Baghdad,
1: yeah like whatever
0: yeah like uh and so so the the through line of sadness uh-huh. is immortal uh-huh. uh uh and and you know you said I'm curious what Gen Z like the sad boy genre the sad boy cultural aesthetic is a, is a Gen Z interpretation of mm-hmm. it i am curious what they'll be like But the, the the interesting thing is that for the most part a lot of this stuff a lot of the concept of sadness Mm -hmm. is associated with youth, Mm -hmm. weirdly enough, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like the, 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 even like you go back to the romantic poets or like Mm Cates, you know, like that being in your twenties and, and like being so full of emotion that you're just like, uh, uh, you can't contain yourself. And it, it is a scary thought that, melancholy or this like kind of culture of depre- of decadent depression mm-hmm. is like a reality for american empire mm-hmm. going forward that's a sign of a of a culture in decay i think yeah
1: i'm now it um. comes now to me i wonder like gen xers are they quote unquote growing out of this aesthetic because i don't right i don't know if they are
0: i don't interpret it that way i mean right. yeah and and then you there are there are element there are moments where a culture can kind of be i mean uh in the late 19th century like the 1890s in france uh they, what do they call it the i'm gonna butcher the word but like the fin fin de siècle uh oh,
1: like, like the end, the of, the end of, it, of the cycle yeah, end of history shit
0: a, the end of history yeah. and and they they believed that they lived in a degenerative culture like a lot of these philosophers and i mean I mean it ended up leading to Lebensraum and leading to the rise of fascism, but it was this it was this this deep dissatisfaction with the modern day and with like you know the the moment of history that these kind of so-called intellectuals were living in. Um and I do see some very clear analogies to America in the
1: 2020s like yeah. we are, this we is are like, living in it this is the thing where I think of um, you know facetiously Matthew McConaughey's line time is a flat circle
0: yeah You're right like it's, it is it oh, is very yeah.
1: cyclical like I think what the average American can benefit most from is understanding the their position in like deep space time human time right and seeing seeing the us as like a very near parallel to other empires who have come and passed and this goes back to the whole my whole thing about like comedy from dead empires like the reason it feels ahead in my opinion of american comedy is like we we are culturally have we haven't reached that point like the Mm -hmm. pinnacle of comedy of like the paradox of existence. Like we haven't reached that because this country still has hope that it will outrun its own demise and I think the past few years this is the first time where like nukes like for example the atomic age and like that whole like we're gonna end the world with mm-hmm. nukes kind of shit like there was a very real fear but I don't know if it was an existential malaise because there was such a concrete kind of like not enemy, but like destruction. Right? It's like if you push the button, we're gonna right. die. If we don't push the button, we won't. And then right. now we're at a place where it's like, what is the button?
0: Yeah. What is our danger? What is it? it? But it, at the end, of the, at the same time, it feels so real. Yeah. It feel, it, like decay feels like really.
1: And you can't like pinpoint visceral. It. Yeah. 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 So I think we are in a very interesting time in American history, specifically where we're either gonna dip. As an economic force and reach a renaissance or we're gonna fucking blow up. Yeah. I, I honestly
0: I would so I would so much rather live in a dead empire. Yeah. Like I you know, you can't and even if even if I were to which I'm not going to do, like mm-hmm. like renounce my citizenship and move to Spain, mm-hmm. like you can't escape who you are. Mm-hmm. And so like I can't undo being an American. Mm-hmm. And and so it, you you I'm stuck with it. Yeah. But the there is, on a personal level there seems like almost no advantage to American military and economic exceptionalism. There really like, isn't. It doesn't it doesn't help us at all. It makes our life. It means that we have to work personally harder without any extra benefits mm-hmm. for not for i don't know what i don't really know the point yeah it's very disconcerting it's interesting i think Dissetism. what i what i've
1: noticed with millennials for example is that the uh, emotional understanding of that exists and yet we don't know how to go about manifesting that concretely yeah. because we're still we're still uh, working within the framework we understand of economic prosperity right. on an individual level national level whatever. Um so again, like I think the Gen Zers are gonna be the ones to really be like, you know what? Like I don't care that the US is number one. I would just love to have a pizza pizza shop. (laughs) Yeah, no yeah. But like on a much larger scale. Yeah. Um which it's very interesting. Very nuanced. Yeah. All right, man, what's your what's your topic? Well, I'm really glad I picked this one because it is a, a very light not yeah, not, yeah. not a deep hole at all. Um yeah. the main reason I picked this is because I loved the articulation of the article itself. Just the way the article is presented. It re- it, it reads so beautifully. I love it. Okay. This is The Men's Marathon. At the nineteen o four Summer Olympics in St. Louis, yes, hell yeah wonderful now, to give you some background that the article doesn 't uh, provide immediately, so I went to Smithsonian mag um, which is <laughs> which is really funny because this article is about the Olympic marathon, and it 's like quirks, same reason i 'm going to read it to you, and yet the tone of the article feels very like refreshingly anti imperialist. <laughs> Which, feel, which feels funny coming from, like, what I would usually consider, like, an, an objective, historical, scientific, whatever, kind of, like, publication. Okay. So I'm going to read the first paragraph of um, the Smithsonian article, and then I'm going to go back to the wiki. All right. America's first Olympics may have been its worst, or at least its most bizarre. Held in 1904 in St. Louis, the games were tied to that year's World Fair, which celebrated the centennial of the Louisiana Purchase while advancing, as did all such turn-of-the-century expositions, the notion of American imperialism. Although there were okay. moments of surprising and genuine triumph, like the gymnast George Iser, who earned six medals, including three gold, despite his wooden leg, the games were largely wow. overshadowed. Yeah, good for him were largely overshadowed by the fair, which offered its own roster of sporting events, including the controversial Anthropology Days, in which a group of savages, quote-unquote, recruited from the fair's international villages, competed in a variety of athletic feats, among them a greased pole climb, quote, ethnic dancing and mudslinging for the amusement of Caucasian spectators all right so this is like that's the setup for where we're at 1904 summer olympics yep the men's marathon took place on august 30 of 1904 over a distance of 24.85 miles 32 athletes representing four nations competed but only 14 managed to finish the race which proved wait, sorry, how many competed? 32 athletes competed. oh my God, and only 14 even finished awesome. the race. Was it because it was so hot? which proved uh, uh, that's, that's like kind of yeah. one part of the thing. Yeah. All right, so the summary. The first to arrive at the finish line was Fred Lortz, who had actually dropped out of the race after nine miles and hitched a ride back to the stadium in a car waving at spectators and runners alike during the ride. When the car broke down at the 19th mile, (laughs) Lortz re-entered the race and jogged across the finish line. After being hailed as the winner, he had his photograph taken with Alice Roosevelt, daughter of then U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, and was about to be awarded the gold medal when his subterfuge was revealed. Upon being... Confronted by officials, Lords immediately admitted his de- deception, and despite his claims he was joking. <laughs> 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 the AAU, or the Amateur Athletic Union, responded by banning him for a year. He later won the nineteen o five Boston Marathon, which I think is a great, you know, legitimizing yeah. Uh, race. Yeah, for that me. helps. That helps. So yeah. He- <laughs> so he hopped in a car halfway through the car broke down so he had to finish the race (laughs) and then he immediately admitted his deception and then went oh i mean i was just kidding thomas hicks ended up the winner of the event although he was aided by measures that would not be permitted in later years 10 10 miles from the finish so almost like halfway Uh, Hicks led the race by a mile and a half, but he had to be restrained from stopping and lying down by his trainers. From then until the end of the race, Hicks received several doses of strychnine mixed with brandy.
0: Uh, (laughs) What?
1: (laughs) Like, that's what his trainers gave him. To be like, yo, you gotta finish the race. Here's some brandy. Isn't
0: strychnine a poison? It's a
1: rat poison. But it stimulates the nervous system in small doses. (laughs) (laughs) So he's literally, with like 10 miles left, he's like dying. He's like, yo, I need to stop. His trainers are like, yo, here's some brandy mixed with rat poison. He continued to battle onwards, hallucinating, barely able (laughs) to walk for most of the course. (laughs) Oh my God. When he, re- when he reached the stadium, his support team carried him over the line, holding him in the air while he shuffled his feet as if still running. <laughs> Hicks had to be carried off the track and might have died in the stadium had he not been treated by several doctors. He lost eight pounds during the course of the marathon. This is the man who officially won the race. Another near fatality during the event was William (laughs) Garcia of the United States. He was found lying in the road along the marathon (laughs) course with severe internal injuries caused by breathing the clouds of dust kicked up by the race officials' cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's like running behind these cars, getting absolutely blasted in the face. Um, here's another great guy. Postman Andarin Carvajal Carvajal uh, joined the marathon arriving at the last minute. He's a postman. After losing all of his money yes. in New Orleans, he hitchhiked to St. Louis and had to run the event in street clothes that he cut around the legs to make them look like shorts. Not... <laughs> 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 Not having eaten in 40 hours, he stopped off in an orchard en route to have a snack on some apples, which turned out to be rotten. The rotten apples caused him to have, a strong, have strong stomach cramps and to have to lie down and take a nap. Despite, awesome. despite falling ill from the apples and taking a nap, he finished in fourth place god arriving without correct documents albert Corey, a french immigrant to the united states is inconsistently listed as performing in a mixed team in the four mile team race with four undisputed americans and performing for the u.s in the marathon so the, those are like the main stories to come out of this one marathon completely unrelated unre- cases of just like it sounds like the
0: first marathon ever run like yeah. i love it sa- It literally sounds like like oh we aren't really sure if you are humanly capable of doing this yeah like the way that all of them approached it was like this is a this is a blow off like i don't know if this is actually real. yeah i'm gonna take it this dude this. yeah that dude was like the guy that stopped in mile nine was like this is, you
1: can't actually do this. Yeah. You're not actually capable of running a marathon. Yeah, this is nuts. This is American imperialism and exceptionalism, really just like overshooting the mark. No one's capable of doing this. The other guy was like, you know what? This is a good excuse to stop in New Orleans and just yeah, you know, blow some money. A yeah. postman. To... Oh man, I love that. It's kind of amazing. Uh... My fa- so my favorite thing. Um, is the table of results. Oh, so, sorry. Um, the marathon ended with the worst ratio of entrance to finishers and by far the slowest winning time at 3 hours, 28 minutes, and 45 seconds, almost 30 minutes slower than the second slowest winning time. Wow. But the only source of water for the competitors was a well At about the 11-mile mark. My God. (laughs) James E. Sullivan was a chief organizer for the Olympics and decided to allow only one water station on the almost 25-mile course, even though it was conducted in 32 degrees Celsius or 90 degrees Fahrenheit heat over unpaved roads choked with dust.
0: Wow. So I I went to the, the 1904 Olympics... Mm-hmm. wikipedia page mm-hmm. i do think this is interesting and important context for why this was so bad
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh the russo japanese war was happening mm-hmm. and very few top-ranked athletes outside the u.s and canada took part only 62 of the 651 athletes were came from outside north america in the entire olympics so i do think it like it's just just american yokels the, yeah being
1: like this is amazing we got the
0: olympics
1: this is like, like this is like the u.s putting on the world's fair and doing the olympics because they were like yo we're gonna fucking like blow this shit out of the water we're gonna be the talk of the town we're gonna be the bell of the ball everyone's gonna love us and meanwhile like real shit is happening on the other side of the world yeah
0: <laughs> and not like almost no europeans or like no one outside of U.S. and Canada even comes to it. Well, of course they didn't because it's in St. Louis. Like, even 1904, St. Louis couldn't have been that attractive to go to if you
1: lived in Paris or Rome. No, like, I mean, like, Chicago oh, was, you like, you know, a decade earlier, I think. And... Uh, the Chicago World's Fair. Yeah, and that was, like, that. that was the second city at the time of, like you know yeah. economic prosperity and even that was a shit show no offense to st louis but the louisiana purchase exposition w- was yeah. never going to be the talk of the town
0: i will say that st louis this was st louis's peak as a city it was 1904 without unquestionably it's like not a, it's not ever never a good thing that you you live in a like city with which peaked so yeah that is so young and yet has such a clear peak moment mm-hmm. but uh but yeah yeah st louis is what what is st place. louis
1: known for on a national level having the third best barbecue in the u.s
0: uh well yeah i mean i don't i wouldn't even class i kansas city is a barbecue town mm. st louis has st louis pork ribs mm. which are, but like st louis doesn't have like a particular unique style of barbecue oh
1: really um what does st louis so the
0: thing is in 1904 st louis was the third largest city in the country Mm. like st louis was and it was the gateway to the west uh so like
1: oh so people went through it
0: yeah the the you like the um lewis and clark expedition started in st louis Mm -hmm. the if you were Caravanning, or, or, or you know you were in a stagecoach mm-hmm. and you were moving west you your last civilized stop before you entered into like indian country and right. in the great unknown was st louis that that was the, the last, last bastion
1: of civilization yeah
0: and it's on the mississippi right so like in a in a previous time like it was definitely the but now what is st louis known for the cardinals the St. Louis Cardinals are like the only, you know, like okay. the, the the real the real like pinnacle of the city of St. Louis in many ways. I think. Oh, and Budweiser, Budweiser.
1: That's it. That's like oh the, okay. They got yeah, and the arch.
0: <laughs> the I guess the arch. Yeah.
1: Budweiser, Budweiser's Apparently. a big one. Budweiser's like a
0: legitimately big one. Um, it's an interesting. I think it's. I think it's an underrated place uh, in the sense that like. Very rich post empire cultural fabric, mm-hmm. uh, and like both my parents uh, grew up in what I kind of would like classify as these like mid 20th century immigrant communities. Yeah. So like my mom and like an, a very Irish and Italian like backbone Catholic of America. Like experience. yeah, and 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 truly like first wave first first wave of immigration mm-hmm. style neighborhoods like. Whereas, like, Los Angeles, I would think, very easily could be classified as, like, the, the second wave right. of immigration, you know, yeah. like, you know, Korean, mm-hmm. um, Thai, like, a lot of, you know, Eastern, Eastern yeah. Asian, Asian cultures, as well as um, Mexican, in, you know, besides the fact that it was a Mexican city, <laughs> right? you know what i mean yeah. um like central american mm-hmm. uh and then and then you've got like a city like houston
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is like third wave mm-hmm. you know v- huge vietnamese population yeah. big syrian population
1: like indian um
0: yeah uh, so uh but st louis and i think every year it's fading a bit uh but has this like such an interesting first wave immigrant roots oh here's an interesting uh, one least,
1: it um yeah, yeah. st louis holds the uh, largest bosnian community outside of bosnia
0: yeah yeah that is a pretty cool like i growing up when we'd go to st louis that was like kind of all starting mm. like obviously after the bosnian civil right. war in the 90s right um and it's i love immigrant communities and stories in the united states because it is Feels almost as if it is one family, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, and then they're like, "All right, it's not that bad here. Come on over." And yeah. then other people get citizenship or green cards, and then the little community pops up, and then then it's like a like a magnet yeah. for you know more and more, and and it it creates these these really like if you were to I will bet if we should maybe I'll do some research for next episode, but like if we were to look at every single country. You could find some crazy cities that have, like, the largest Afghani population in the United States. the largest Cameroonian, like, very specific ethnic enclaves in very specific mid to small cities. Right. You know? Armenian is a great example here. Yeah. LA, L.A. has more Armenians, I think, than than our talk maybe even the then the entire country of Armenia, mm-hmm. like something maybe not but like some, and a crazy statistic or maybe it's a like glendale glendale california inside the la metro area has the second most armenian <laughs> second largest armenian population in any city in the world yeah, i think it. that
1: that's the the statistic i love that yeah i do so, love that about the u.s i really yeah. do um that is, that is like, the part of the uh, Great American Experiment that I think, you know, is wonderful. Because there's going to be, like, large swaths of people who grew up in St. Louis who just have, like, a, a weirdly, you know, astute understanding of Bosnian culture compared to the rest of the co- country. And they yeah. probably took it for granted. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. There are – I'm sure there are many people our age who grew up in St. Louis that, like, went to, you know – Back, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm being culturally insensitive mm-hmm. because this is a thing in Bosnia, but like went to like goat roasts in the backyard right. of their Bosnian friends house, you know, yeah. like that, that have these experiences that are just so specific. Mm-hmm. Uh It's very cool. Yeah, it's, it, it is no doubt laced with the, the concept of America, you have to ignore the fact that people did live on this land before right. america right. but if you are doing that and you understand and you think of it as this experiment mm-hmm. of of like oh this is free land so anyone in the world can come and create this multi ethnic right. you know fabric that that is a huge whitewashing of the truth mm-hmm. and of the reality of the situation mm-hmm. But, like, that's that's certainly, like, Obama's conception of America. I
1: think, and I think that's, like, something, as someone who's bicultural, like, that's something that I would love for, like, homegrown American people to understand and recognize. Um, and I think it's happening more and more is, is this idea that, like, the America that we grew up in and live in, that, again, we have a dogmatic understanding of its place in the world is not only super young in the context of the world, um, but also like very much not how most of the world operates. Right. Now simultaneously, it is a very unique exper- experiment that when pushed in the right direction, is like objectively beautiful from a humanistic perspective.
0: Yeah, and the future. Right, right. Yeah, like, exactly. It has to be
1: yeah you know it's the, it's just the thing that like you have to know the past you know to to make the future that you know you want um yep and not necessarily be tethered to the past, but if you don't understand the realities of it, you can't try and create a better future it's just not possible right absolutely yeah hey well on that
0: note That's just... I think great I think one. that's
1: our time, right? Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, so you know, um, to everyone out there, if if there's anything we said that you like or like have have a thought on, please let us know, because yeah, you know, we're, we're yeah, we'd love to hear from We're you. getting into very real, like, contemporary, you know, personal existential issues from like a larger historical context, but like I think we're talking about stuff that is very now. Um, yeah. and on the minds of people. Yeah, and if who are, we Here.
0: If we said anything that you don't agree with, um, you know, at this point go ahead and let us know. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, uh I think at this point we're we're ready to hear from you. Um you know, I think we're trying to come at this everything that we're coming at in this podcast is like attempting in good faith. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think Definitely. I think that it 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 relates to that, but like this is these are I think everything that we're, we're we're trying to discuss is like pretty heady and worthy of like you know we're not living in different realities as you yeah uh, to bring it back to the beginning yeah. so like these are these are like topics that are worthy of mm-hmm. of arguing about and discussing rather than like you know there is no truth right. to any of it so right. so yeah let us know um we're yeah emails are are email once again gmail.com. and uh, yeah tell your friends please tell your friends, friends. Yeah. we appreciate it we appreciate all you listening for sure all right, all right. thank you bye, bye. bye.